Welcome to Regina Apostolic Church Online. My name is Pastor Larry. Glad to be with you again this, this uh, Sunday or whenever you're watching us. And uh, we hope you're enjoying the Word as it comes to you across the internet, uh, regardless of when or how you happen to see it. We're just glad to have you with us. Pray the Lord's ministering in your life and you're sensing His presence. It's a privilege for me to uh, share with you a message that I've been waiting a long time to share, not years, but uh, at least a month or two. It's called The Battleground, and it's something that I've experienced personally. I mentioned this to the church last week. This is a, a message, this is a principle, if you will, that has changed my life probably more than anything else outside of the infilling of the Spirit and, of course, salvation itself. So I'm going to be sharing this over the next couple of Sundays. I hope you can tune in and see the whole series because I, uh, I really want to encourage you. This will make a difference in your life if you haven't already applied this to yourself. There, uh, there are two vehicles that the Lord uses in our lives to make change, to bring change. One is through the direct power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us Pentecostals are familiar with that. And the second is through the application of the principles of the Word of God. So as I take the Word of God and I obey it and apply it to my life, change comes into my life. My message is going to be based uh, more on the principles and how you apply the principles to your life. And the Holy Spirit will be something that will empower that, I'm sure. I believe if you apply these principles that I'm going to share with you, as I said, over the next few weeks, you're going to win many battles in your life that presently are causing issues, and you're going to have victories that you never thought uh, you would have in some cases. Now, if you've lived any length of time as a Christian, you probably realize that it wasn't long after you became a Christian that you began to uh, feel and become aware of a spiritual battle in your life. There were things that weren't really keen on having you live for Christ. It was called spiritual warfare, and I think we all know that it's real. It's not fake, it's real. It's ongoing, and it's constant in our life. When I say constant, I don't mean it's 24-7 in terms of what you can sense, but it's real, and it's happening on a regular basis. And there we're, not, we're not called to focus on that or certainly not be distracted by it. It's still a reality in our lives. It still affects us. John 10 and 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The truth is, spiritual warfare doesn't affect just the Christian. It actually affects everyone on the face of the earth. Because everyone on the face of the earth, Christian or not, is made in the image of God when they're born. The enemy hates that and wants to destroy non-Christians as much as he wants to destroy Christians. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he secured a victory for us in this battle. However, the victory, and this is maybe a little bit confusing for some people, that victory doesn't mean that we no longer have to fight. It's part of living in a fallen world, working out our salvation, and being salt and light wherever we find ourselves. Let me tell you the truth. Spiritual passivity is a poor and fruitless theology. If you follow that principle, you'll have few victories in your life and very little spiritual purpose. I know a number of Christians that feel really strongly that we're just supposed to exist and just let stuff happen to us because that's the way the Lord wants it. The problem is, as you go through, uh, especially in the New Testament, you're going to find far too many verbs that put the onus on you not to make yourself a Christian, but to walk in victory as a Christian. And the Lord expects that of us. 
2 Corinthians 10, 1 to 3. We're going to be studying in 2 Corinthians 10, the first six verses, 1 to 6. First three verses read as this. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. It's a little bit of a strange uh, statement in the second letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth in the 10th chapter. There was a vocal minority in the church in Corinth that persisted in thinking and speaking that Paul the Apostle was motivated by worldly standards and motives uh, that uh, he relied on And he used his human powers and methods in his ministry instead of relying on the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, he goes on into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and he explains not just to that vocal minority, not to the whole church in Corinth alone, but he actually shows to us how we're supposed to work in the Spirit, by the principles of Christ, in this world to gain victory. Not by human standards and not by human persistence or ability, but by the power of the Holy Spirit through the principles of the Word of God. You go on and you find that Paul seems to take for granted this war or this battle. He doesn't spend a lot of time explaining it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And the reason he doesn't is because he believes that it's real, and most of the people that he's talking to believe that it's real. He doesn't try to prove its existence. He just kind of jumps right in by explaining to us how and where this battle is fought. And here's the truth. The battle I'm speaking about, the title of the message is The Battleground. The battleground I'm speaking about for all of us is between our ears. It's our mind. That's where the war is fought. The issues that we fight against, things like jealousy, envy, strife, anger, lust, selfishness, fear, and even some cases, suicidal thoughts, those battles are fought between our ears. It's in our mind where the battleground is. So what I'm going to be talking to you about is how to win the battle that's found in your mind. A fleshly or a sinful thought can't produce a positive or righteous fruit. Can't do that. You can't get, uh, as the old adage is, blood out of a stone, and you can't get righteous fruit out of a fleshly or thoughtful, or sorry, sinful thought. The enemy knows that if we think on the wrong things, then he will increase the possibility of us acting on those things, and thus the battle. That's where the battle is. We understand that when what begins as a thought in our lives often ends as an action. Think about this. If I sow a thought, I'll reap an action. If I sow an action, I can reap a habit. If I sow a habit, I reap a character, And if I sow a character, I can reap a destiny. So if you leave out the in-between, if I sow a thought, it can eventually produce a destiny in my life. Now that can be good or bad, depending on the thought and depending on how quickly we give over to it and let it have its way in our lives. You see, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says this, As he thinks in his heart, so is a man. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with you. As a man thinks in his heart, 
So is he, according to the King James Version. James 1.13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth the death. And death is a destiny. That's the destiny that your sin will bring if you don't deal with it. Paul tells us that Christ doesn't want us to live this way. He wants us to live purely. We know that. And starting with our minds, that's where the battle is. When that battle's won, it's much simpler for us to live purely before the Lord. But you and I both know that this is really hard to do. It's not simple. It's not easy. If it was easy, it'd be, uh, everybody would be doing it. Between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, Jesus actually raised the stakes tremendously to include sin in terms of how we actually think in our mind. Before, that wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament. Matthew 5.27 says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, Jesus said. Then he goes on, he said, But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see that? He went from the actual physical act of adultery, being sin, to the actual uh, committing sin by lusting after her without ever having committed the physical act. Jesus moved the goalposts of righteousness when he came to this world under the new covenant. It went from a wide goal of mere physical to a much narrow goal that includes the thoughts that precede the physical sin of adultery. And so it is in every situation. I often thought when I was growing up as a Christian, as a teenager, I thought to myself, well, that's, that's not even fair. I mean, how is it even possible to win that battle? It just didn't seem like it was a doable thing. Stay tuned, and I'll show you how to live righteously in your mind. The only way to win this battle is to fight it with the correct weapons. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is about, the first six verses. If you don't use the correct weapons, you're wasting your time and you will eventually become defeated. So what does this look like? Well, let me share with you the weapons used for battle in this particular situation. You see, the weapons that we use for battle in this war are not the same as fleshly weapons. We're in a spiritual battle. Paul is saying we need to use spiritual weapons. Simply using positive thoughts, making a decision to do better, Stealing yourself, if you will, to say, I can do this, I can do this in my own strength. Being better organized. Those things, are. there's nothing wrong with them. And sometimes they'll actually work in the area of the flesh. But ultimately, they won't work completely and for long. In the area of the spirit, Paul says that we have to use spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. But against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not armor of the flesh, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. 
You see the difference? The difference is if I was fighting against men and women that are physically here on the face of the earth and I wanted to get a weapon, I could use a gun, I could use a club, I could use a stone. There's all sorts of things that I could use that would be weapons of this world, fleshly weapons, if you will. That works all right if you're fighting a battle that's flesh and blood. Paul said that's not the battle we're fighting. We're fighting battles of principalities and powers. You can have the best gun in the world. It's not going to scare any demon at all. Not going to bother them whatsoever because it doesn't affect them. It's not a spiritual weapon. It can't have a spiritual effect. We don't fight the same thing. We fight spiritual powers, not people. And we don't fight in the same way. We can't fight with the same weapons. You see, the battle that goes on in your mind is not a fleshly battle. For the most part, it's a spiritual battle. And for you to win that battle, you have to fight with spiritual weapons. We fight against principalities and powers of darkness that want to influence us. They don't care about your fleshly weapons. The fight takes place in our minds. And the truth is, folks, if we win there, well, we win everywhere. We can win the battle of our mind. We can win everywhere. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. It says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, Paul said. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to demolish or destroy strongholds. Romans chapter 7 says this, So I find it to be a law that when I do, do right, evil lies close at hand, Paul said. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul knew all too well about this spiritual battle. It's not surprising that he would write to the church in Corinth and say, it's not a, it's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle, so you can't use the same weapons. You see, we're made up of three parts as human beings, spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is that part of us that's conscious of God. When you said yes to Jesus, immediately your spirit was touched and saved when you accepted him into your heart. Just like that. It was made that much different. That's why, for, most, for the most part, we recognize something has happened. It's not even so much a physical, physical feeling in response, but it's the fact that our spirit is now uh, of God, and uh, we're conscious of the fact that some, some kind of transaction has happened. Your body is that part of you that you can see, see and feel. Though touched by the presence of the Spirit of God and, uh, and since salvation, it's not saved yet, all right? It's not ultimately going to be saved until such time as we're taken to be with Christ in heaven, where we'll receive a new body. I don't know about you, looking forward to a new body that doesn't give me, give me a hassle when I get out of bed in the morning, uh, amongst other times. You can be physically healed, but the scripture says that eventually you're going to die because there's an appointment. Romans 9.27 says, Just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We have an appointment. You don't have to put this down in your day timer. It doesn't have to be on your phone. It's all looked after. They'll come for you. The truth is, is that we're going to pass from this earth physically. The last part, spirit, body, and then there's our soul. 
the part of us that contains our mind and our will and our emotions. This is the area that's most vulnerable to a constant state of battle. As the enemy can influence our mind and our emotions through different means to attempt to keep us from serving God and giving him our very best. That's where the battle happens the most. The soul is that part of us that contains the mind and the will and the emotions. And the battleground that I'm, sp- I'm talking about today is the mind, which is part of your soul. Even though Christ has redeemed my soul in a legal sense, I still find myself in a battle to allow him to have total control over it while I'm here on earth. Now, if I fight correctly, I will see victory in this area, but the reverse is also true. How do I fight incorrectly? By using weapons of the flesh and not weapons that are spiritual. It's not an issue of ultimate salvation, the battle of the soul. It's an issue of daily victory. You're saved if you're a Christian. All three parts of you are going to go to heaven in one way, shape, or form. They're going to be looked after. Redemption will be complete. You don't have to worry about that if you belong to Christ. But we're not talking about that ultimate salvation. We're talking about a daily victory here prior to the time Christ takes us to be with him. So in the same way that Israel was promised when they left Egypt that they would receive Canaan as what was called the promised land, as their inheritance, the promise, as you know, if you read the story, when they crossed the Jordan, it still required them to battle, even though they were promised victory. You say, well, that seems strange. I thought they were promised victory. They were, and they received it. But they didn't receive it without a fight. The Lord didn't tell them they wouldn't have to fight. I'm telling you that you have to fight. There will be a battle that you'll have. There'll be a struggle at times. There'll be things that uh, you won't expect. Don't be surprised by that. Just make sure your job is to make sure you use the weapons that are spiritual, not the weapons that are fleshly. You may ask, well, then why didn't Christ uh, deal as decisively with our souls as he did with our spirits? It would have made things much easier. Uh, That's a good question if I wish I had the answer. So this is the very best I can tell you. This is my rendition, uh, is, is that in necessitating us to work out our salvation in our soul part, if you will, he's putting us in a place of constant reliance upon him, which is the safest place that we can be. I don't know about you, but if I think something's looked after and it doesn't require my input and it's done, I just kind of, I, I kind of, zone out, and I move on to the next thing. And what, the, what this battle is that we're involved in, even though it's not for our salvation, even though that battle is present and real, what it's doing is it's, it's bringing me to a place of constantly relying upon him. I have to pray. I have to seek his face. I have to walk after him. I have to do what he wants me to do. Because if I don't do that, I'm going to lose that particular battle. And I don't know about you, but after Christ saving me, I want to do the very best I can, and I'm sure you're the same way. The very best I can do in the midst of that battle, at least, as a disciple, is to fight in such a way that I'll gain victory. And the only way to fight so that you'll gain victory in the battle for your mind is to fight with spiritual weapons, not physical weapons. The risk of failing by using uh, the spiritual weapons that Paul mentions is much less than relying on an attitude of self-sufficiency when you use the weapons of the flesh. In other words, I don't know that every time that you battle, you're going to win. But I can tell you, every time you battle with the arm of the flesh, 
you will not receive the victory that you need to. You won't overcome and you'll have to fight that all over again. The point of verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, is to remind us that even though we live in fleshly bodies, we can't depend on the weapons common to our flesh to defeat the battle we find ourselves in. Some of these weapons, let me just give you some examples. I'm sure you've used these. I know I have. Uh, we use our intellect, our ability to consider things. We try and think positive. If I think positive thoughts, nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> but sometimes I think that that's going to win the battle in my mind. Sometimes I hide from them. I just try and isolate. I put on loud music so that I can't even think. And if I don't think, that means that I don't have to struggle with the thoughts that are in my mind. Sometimes I think that if I can consider them and articulate them in an eloquent manner, that I'll be able to defeat them. Not the truth. Sometimes I have a coping mechanism that's even different from everything I'm going to tell you about. It might be something that distracts me. Most of them are. Because it doesn't actually, it just helps me cope. You see, cope doesn't solve. Cope gets us through the day, so to speak. And our coping mechanisms have a, have a tendency to allow us to get through the day, but it doesn't actually deal with the issue at hand for the most part. I can appear well on the outside. I can think positive. A lot of people will rationalize, rationalize their faith, rationalize the issue and say, oh, it's not all that bad. Sometimes we can look out for ourselves and think that we're, you know, we're number one, so this shouldn't be happening to us. I know other people that actually blame everyone else instead of seeing the problems from within. So uh, the fact that I'm struggling with lust is my mother's fault because of this or that or the other. Or my father because he had a bunch of porno magazines. It's my dad's fault. I can blame him, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm struggling with this. Just like if you're an alcoholic because... Uh, you were influenced by your parents, you can't blame your parents now and think that the blaming them is going to resolve your present issue. I grew up in an alcoholic family, and I realized that if I didn't draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going to do any of this, I'm not going to do any of this, and then bring that into my marriage with my wife and my children, that there was a pretty good chance genetically that I was going to suffer from the same uh, addiction in the flesh. Who was it that was problematic in my life? Well, lots of people. I had a family full of people that enjoyed their booze, but I couldn't blame them for the decisions I was making. I had to make that decision for myself. Another coping mechanism is believe that there's nothing other than me. There's no such thing as God, and therefore I rule out the possibility of outside influences, and I solve my problem myself. When you do that, you have a tendency to look at the thoughts in your mind, the place that you're battling the most, take possession of them as if they were yours, when actually that's not true. Some of them are yours, and some of them aren't. Some of them come from other places, other influences. We'll talk about that in the next message. Paul says that though we live in this world, we don't use the weapons that a fallen creation uses to deal with the struggles of our mind and our emotions. The reason is this, because it's a spiritual struggle, not so much a fleshly battle, so it requires different weapons. He goes on to tell some of the weapons that we use to fight this fight. Now please understand, there's no place in the scripture that it says to stay away from doctors and counselors and to stay away from medication. It's not, I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm just saying that we should prioritize the word of the Lord in our life 
And if the Father directs us in other ways to deal with some of the issues that we struggle with, so be it. But to leave the Word of God out completely, I would suggest to you that a bulk of the church is going to struggle to have any victory whatsoever. We're going to continue this message in the next week. But I want to leave you with Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. That shows us the way that people can battle against principalities and powers. It also shows the real enemy we fight isn't flesh and blood, but those principalities and powers. There may not be a demon behind every bush, but there's definitely an army arrayed against the church in the spiritual realm that you and I need to be aware of. Now let me close with this. The truth is, is that the Lord has provided, according to the scriptures, everything we need for life and godliness. That if we'll read the word, that we can find what we need to be successful in our walk as a Christian. And this includes the battle of which I speak. So I want to encourage you today, first of all, to reconsider some of the things that I've said. Follow along in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And then ask the Lord what some of the battles are that you're finding in your mind right now. What are the things that you struggle with? What are those thoughts that you can't get away in your head? What are the ones that you, maybe up to today, have been saying, these are mine, when in fact, maybe they're not yours? Maybe something else has actually uh, uh, inserted those into your mind, and you've been grappling with them as if they're yours and becoming condemned because of it. I want to encourage you that there's a way to win. Uh, I'm not perfect when it comes to this, but the reason I'm excited about it is I've actually walked through these things and embraced this and saw it work in my own life. And I've, I've led many, many people to this same type of freedom. So join with me next week here at Regina Apostolic Church. And let me continue with part two about how to use these weapons of our warfare in a strong way. In the meantime, I just want to pray with you that the Lord would bless you and give you discernment. I want to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. That the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That you could see. That the Lord would show you the things that I'm talking about to be true. That you would embrace them in your heart, in your life, in your spirit. And that you would use them as the weapons that they are. If you find yourself as a passive Christian just letting life happen to you, I want to encourage you just to stop it. Just stop. And take responsibility for your life. Passivity passivity doesn't help anything when it comes to being a Christian. Especially when it comes to applying the, the word of God to yourself. Because it requires you in an act of your will to apply it to your life. There's nothing you can do to be saved. But there's everything you can do to walk in victory before the Lord. That's what this is about. So Jesus, I pray that you would make that truth real in people's hearts that you would reveal to them the truth of the word of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and you would show them that the victory that they're looking for, the struggle in their mind, is something that you have the answer for, just like everything else. You have the answer for it. In this case, it's an answer of spiritual weapons that can make a massive difference in a spiritual war. So I pray in Jesus' name, even now before the next lessons come, that there will be a difference in our mind, that we take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ so that we could have victory in those areas of our life. And when we do that, when you bring that to, when you bring that to pass with signs following, we'll be careful to give you the praise 
for any freedom that we receive. Thanks, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the difference it makes in our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Feel free to contact us here at Regina Apostolic Church if you have any questions. And uh, if you'd like a transcript of this message, happy to send it to you as well. God bless.